welcome to the Soul Revival Church Podcast. My name is Melissa Poisel, and my husband TJ and I are the lead pastors here at Soul Revival. Thank you so much for listening in. We pray that today's message is encouraging and inspiring. Man, it's good to worship together. It's good to allow our voices to be raised and lifted up because that warms God's hearts, and it's warming to be able to do that together here on a Sunday morning and beyond. Um, we're thankful to have you with us today. You can go ahead, grab a seat, say hi to some people on your way down, maybe an air high five, fist bump, whatever you feel comfortable with. You make eye contact with somebody, I feel like you feel the vibe. Are they a hugger or is it six feet? God has taught us some things over these last two years. Amen? Thank you, sir. Man, who's ready for some 50-degree weather? Yeah, and then cold again tomorrow. But this is the Lord's day. So get as much accomplished as you can. Pray for me. I'm going to try to take off the lights from our house. Only house on the block with them still up. Anybody else with me? No? You're like, we got them down. Okay. Next year I know who to call to help me out a little bit earlier. Well, thank you for joining us today. If, if you're a guest with us or you haven't been here in a little while, we've been in a series called Can You Relate? Relationships are important. God created us for relationships, and in week one, Melissa shared an incredible word around how important it is to have relationships with people. The kind of relationships that we have uh, are all informed by the relationship we first and foremost have with God, who he's created us to be, and the fact that we get to have a direct relationship with him. And then last week, we talked about knowing your rival, because we've got a lot of rivals within our relationships, lots of tension and challenges, but it's identifying the fact that a person is not your rival, the enemy is. It's knowing that someone is coming after us to try to steal, kill, and destroy, and the first place the enemy attacks is within relationship. And this week, um, we're going to continue kind of the trend, but in a different way, because in both of the first two weeks, we've been looking at Genesis um, as God created man initially and how he created us for relationship. But before we jump into the verse particularly, and I'll be in Matthew 19 if you want to make your way there, uh, but we always want to let people know about the Bible because we understand it can be intimidating. You might have one, you've never opened it. You say, I never even bought one because I don't know where to start. Or I feel as though it's this list of rules and i got to follow them all for God to love me. I'll work on it someday. Let me just get myself together and then I'll come to God. But you need to know that this is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. And it is a love story. It's a love story about the God of the universe that created us to do relationship with us. But he gave us free will to make our own decisions. And because of that free will, we made some mistakes that separated from him. So it's about him coming back for us and him ultimately sending his son Jesus to die for us so we can have a direct relationship with him. So in Matthew 19, I'm, I'm reading verses four through six, and it says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, sorry babe, we got three boys, they're leaving eventually, they'll leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. If you're taking notes today, the title of this message is Flesh of My Flesh, not DMX's second album. <laughs> but by biblical, biblical reference, Flesh of My Flesh. Uh, would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you're here with us today that you've got a plan and purpose through this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me get out of the way because you've got something to say to people. And as you touch our hearts, let it be softened hearts. Let it be open and receptive. And, and God, I just believe that you've got some freedom 
for some people in this space here today. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to let you guys know a little bit about me. Some of you may already know this, but the way that I got to know my wife is a pretty cool story. So um, she was on a semester off of school from Colorado and moved back home with her parents. And she was working at a K Jewelers in Colorado, so she got transferred. And she just so happened to be transferred to the K Jewelers that my aunt was a manager of. And I was in the process of trying to get a job at. So first day of my job, I walk in and the first thing that my eyes see is this beautiful woman right there. And I'm like, oh, got to get to know her. <laughs> this is before Jesus. There are probably some other thoughts there too, but I'm thankful <laughs> God has forgiven me. And I'm like, man, I, I got to get to know her. How can I hang out? How can I find out as much as I can about her? And we had different opportunities to connect. And at one particular time, she's like, hey, you remember this tomorrow. Your minds can probably go to the reason and the need for me to remember this tomorrow. She knew Jesus, I didn't. You remember this tomorrow, I might go on a date with you. So the next day at work, again, the first thing my eyes see is her and I walk over and I say, yo, what's up? <laughs> I remember. And that first date, Applebee's on a lunch break, <laughs> straight from K. Jewelers, man, I can't wait. There were no Frosties, but my heart rate Pump, pump, oh baby, yeah, I can't wait. I'm sorry, that was random. <laughs> oh man, that was like the song of most people's summer, but every time I heard, I'm like, hey, Applebee's, our first date. I had a burger, she ate a salad. Is that how most first dates go? <laughs> I'm getting the laughing out of the way early because, you know, today I want to talk about a topic of what's your vision for your marriage? And if you're single, don't run out promise there's some for you in this too. What is the vision for your marriage? Because when the two of us first met, and someday, and I've shared the story a lot, but Jesus transformed my heart and used her to do it. So I'm thankful for what God has done through her in my life and now the fact that we're doing this together. But it didn't start with the vision saying, God, what do you have for us? Our initial vision was, all right, next step, let's get married. After we get married, let's start trying to have kids. After we have kids, like, let's also look for a place to live and let's pursue our dream home so we can live comfy and cozy. Because that's going to answer all the questions, right? It's going to bring fulfillment in our lives. Because now we got each other and we're just living the dream. And then we have three years of fertility issues just trying to have a baby. And then once we finally are able to, we feel so blessed. But then corporately, I'm like, all right, now I got to make some more money because now there's another head. Another mouth to feed. And then a second kid comes. And then a third one. And then it's like, well, now we need a bigger house. And by the world standards, man, we had a great vision for life. And we were living comfy and cozy. But that was the problem. Because there were days we'd look at one another and say, man, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more than this. Like, yeah, we have Jesus in our lives. But what we're pursuing, I don't know that it's what God has for us. Because comfort it's typically not where God's calling us. I'm just going to get that out of the way right away. It's going to be a fun morning, okay? I need your prayers, too, as we do this. But he started to convict our hearts and say, how do you start being a contributor to what I'm doing as opposed to a consumer? What does that look like in your life? And God started to radically move within our hearts, so we started to look at each other and say, all right, 
What is our vision for our marriage that has God in the center of it? What will that look like for us to pursue him together? Because we know he's created us each on purpose and with purpose, but he's brought us together for a reason. So today I want to talk about three different vantage points of how to look at marriage and how to look at having a vision for what that can look like. It will be three vantage points, different vantage points, but the same vision. And I believe that God's going to be speaking to everyone's hearts today. Because I know that he has something for each and every one of us through this, through his word. And we know that he is here and in this place. Amen? Amen. Three vantage points. So it's funny. The, the verses that I read to you from Matthew, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. So Jesus had rolled up to a new spot. And all these religious people came up to him and they're like, hey, what's your take on divorce? We get to do it, right? They're always trying to catch him up in these moments, these challenging moments that would bring culture and God into conflict with one another. But Jesus, man, Jesus was a G. Like he, he just, boom, right to the heart, had the perfect answer every single time. Because they ask about divorce. Like, man, majority of marriages end in divorce because we don't have a vision for our marriages. So when you even go into them to begin with, it's thinking, well, is there a way out? Is there an escape clause? It's been the same challenge since the beginning to know that these Jewish hierarchy people were coming up to Jesus trying to understand about divorce and trying to make sure that Jesus would confirm what they knew about it. And that's where we're picking up because the first vantage point I want to talk about is marriage. It's looking at marriage specifically because the enemy will come in and say, yeah, I want you to be thinking about divorce right out of the gate. But Jesus, as he responds in these verses, so in Matthew 19, 4 to 6, when he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. He's referencing Genesis 1:27 there. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now he is referencing Genesis 2:24. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So his response is, look, yeah, it might have happened, and there's divorce happening, and we'll get to the reason why it was allowed. But Jesus is saying, in the beginning, that was not God's intention. God looked and said it was not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve so that they could live together and have a unity. And God's intention from the start was never for there to be something called divorce. It was like, no, marriage, marriage is the point of it. So what does it look like to have a God vision for your marriage? What can that look like? And it's important to spend time, if, if you're married here today, to be praying with your spouse like, what is God's vision for our marriage? See, when God created man and woman, he created them separately. There's differences, but they're both in his image. So together. There is a partnership. There is something God wants to do that's so significant that's going to transform a lot of lives. But we need to take the time to be praying and asking God, what does that look like? What does that vision look like? And there's, there's two ways that that vision can look like. And I believe that as we progress through this morning, God lays it out pretty clearly what, what that vision can be within our lives. But um, in that text, he's talking about spiritually, like within the world. But he's also talking physically. Sex is not a bad thing or a bad word, but the enemy would like us to think that way. Because he has created us. When it flesh of my flesh, as he's talking about it, there is a physical union too, but 
Before I make anybody too comfortable, we'll talk to the spiritual side of it first. Is that cool? It's quiet today. <laughs> so in Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, God has a mission for your marriage. There's a mission associated with it. As he's saying, be fruitful and increase, like be fruitful and multiply, bear fruit. Jesus talks about a fruit saying, what trees bring good fruit? Because he's called us to go and impact the world. Multiplication can be looked at from a discipleship standpoint. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. Share with people who I am and what I've come to do because I want to restore the world to myself. So in Genesis, that's what's being shared. Saying, I'm calling you to go out, rule over the birds and every other living creature. Like, I've got a mission for you in your marriage. I've got a plan for the two of you together that are far greater than anything you can do and accomplish separately. You complement one another. If anyone ever hangs out with the two of us, man, this woman compliments me and I try to compliment her because she looks so good, but... She told me to make sure I don't say anything to make anybody feel awkward today. <laughs> See, that's that, that's that right there, you know? I might go a little too far sometimes. That's a spoiler alert, probably. <laughs> I'm trying to have some fun today. Um, but seriously, as, as we look together within our marriages, God has a mission for us. And he's going to use it. And he's going to use us to transform some lives along the way. And it's praying together to say, all right, what's the mission for us? What passions and desires do I have? And what passions and desires does my spouse have? And how together do you want to use us to love people well? Because he has a mission for our marriage. And you may have never thought that way. We didn't think that way for a long time. But as God started to change our hearts for what that looked like, man, I'm so grateful for that. As he called us to come lead and Launch Soul Revival Church, but we've done it with a whole lot of awesome people that have done it with us, and it's because they're doing the same thing. What's the mission that God has for me personally? But then as we take it a step further within marriage, what can that look like? What does God have in store for the two of us together? And in 1 Corinthians 7.3, it says, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Ephesians 5.33 really speaks to a two where it says, Husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. There's a cool book called Love and Respect that's really good for your marriage too that we would recommend we read it together. Because the way that God's created us separately, like men are looking for that respect and that affirmation, but women are looking for that love. And it's like, man, I'm trying. The rom-com ended at some point. No, that one fell. That fell flat. I'm talking like the honeymoon phase. You know, I try to continue. All right, babe, you got everybody on your side. I'm sorry. <laughs> but 1 Corinthians 7.4 says, the wife does not have authority over her own body. Sorry, ladies, your husbands today are going to be like, early nap for the kids after church. And likewise, the wife, her husband. Oh, and in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. And ladies, this doesn't mean like you read the Bible, you better go fix that roof. I need your strength for that. 
And in case you needed it to be any more clear, as we read the next verse, it says, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. God has created a special unity that he designed to be between husband and wife. And the enemy will try to tempt us. He does it all the time. Social media and provocative images that pop up, pornography that it leads to, and then you're in these spaces, you're like, how did I even get here? And then it's impacting your marriage. Or those conversations you might be having at work with someone of the opposite sex, and then afterwards you're like, man, I shouldn't be doing that. Because the enemy is trying to gain a foothold within your marriage. So it is healthy for us to be able to have that physical interaction between a husband and wife because it's healthy. We get to become flesh of my flesh. Like we get to come together in that special way. But it also is a weapon against the enemy. You're welcome, husbands. Take that home. Ready to battle the enemy. Why do I have to be the one talking about marriage? I'm just kidding. I, I enjoy talking about this because it's important. It, it's really important. Like We can joke about it too, but it is so incredibly important because the enemy attacks relationships and the first one he'll go at is marriages. And the fact that almost just as many Christian marriages are ending as, in divorce as the world, man, there's a problem that we have to address and we have to talk about it because God wants to bring unity. He wants us to come together to say, what does it look like to have a, a mission and a vision for our marriage because God has us in mind for each other. And one of the keys to a healthy marriage is saying, you know what, it's not about me. Having zero expectations going into anything like, you know what, I'm going to buy my wife some flowers just because I love her. And I'm not going to expect anything in return. Because when you don't have expectations, anytime your spouse then does something to show you love, you're not just like, about time. I've been waiting for that. I know you saw that coupon I put on the fridge. I want to get one free meal. They even delivered it. I just was trying to have a date night, get some Applebee's, DoorDash. Come on, homie, bring it right to me. I feel like this is the theme of this, you know. But when you say, I'm going to do for my wife not expecting anything in return or for my husband without anything in return, it's, it's what Jesus modeled, and it's something called servant leadership. It's saying, I'm willing to go last so that they can be first. When you put your spouse above yourself and then you allow yourself to eliminate expectations, and it takes time, let me tell you, we all struggle and we all battle with it, so nobody's perfect when it comes to this. But the more and more that you pursue Jesus in your own life and put Jesus in the center of your marriage, the more you can do that and say, you know what, I just want to express this love because this is what God has called me to do. Because if we're called to love everybody always, man, within my marriage, I want to lead that way. And for those of you that might have kids too, your kids are watching the way that you love. So it's really important for me not only to love my wife because I do love her, but there's times where it requires effort because she feels love differently than how I just naturally feel or show it. So I could be hanging out watching a sports game and her next to me, I'm like, man, that was some quality time. And then at the end of the night, she's like, I feel like we're not having any quality time. Sorry, babe, I'm putting us on blast here, but I think it's important to be vulnerable and transparent because we're all people and human beings. I'm like, babe, what do you mean? We were sitting there all night together. I even held your hand. Yeah, but did we talk? Oh, you got me. You know, but it's owning those things. It's having that humility within our relationships to say, okay, I, I see that. Let me put some effort into it. 
Even if they realize right out of the gate you're only doing it because they said something, so what? Humble ourselves so that we can draw closer to each other. See, because after Jesus shared about this, the next verse in Genesis, though, we read 127, but 128 is Adam and, and Eve, they were naked and felt no shame. So God created them and said, you're going to come together to become one flesh, and they were naked and felt no shame. It's because there is a beauty and an element there within marriage, but the enemy is trying to cause division. So having a, a vision for your marriage will help you fight against those temptations that come against you because the enemy is attacking and attacking and attacking. Because when the enemy showed up in the Garden of Eden and they were able to give in and they gave in to their flesh, now they're hiding and they realize they were naked. So they're like, ooh, let me get some figs. Because now they felt this shame. God did not intend us to feel any shame. Like some of you are like, man, yeah, this is awkward. We're talking about sex at church. It is a healthy thing that God created that is incredible when done in the right context and in the right way. Because God has a vision for your marriage that he wants to do something in and through you together beyond anything you could accomplish on your own. But you've got to be willing to love each other first and say, look, this is intentional. Like, we need to have some time. And, and I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry I, I'm not always as romantic as I should be because I want you to know how loved that you are. I wish I could get everybody the microphone so you could say the same today, too, get you some points. But you can just lean over and say, babe, that's how I feel. The second vantage point that I want to talk about, though, is through the lens of divorce. Because it's a real thing. I, I'm just going to read the next verses for you, and then we'll talk a little bit more. Matthew 19, 7 and 9 says, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Man, that's heavy. I was even talking to Melissa this week, like, can we, should I just pull out verse 9? Should I just <laughs> take that out? Another time Jesus talks about adultery, though, and says, hey, if you even look at someone with a lustful eye, you've committed adultery. And he does that not to bring condemnation because that's not who he is. The reason why Jesus does that is saying, I'm equaling the playing field because everyone needs me the same. All have sinned and fallen short, and that's why Jesus had to come for us. So this is not a point of condemnation right here. You just need to know that. But what Jesus is responding to is because, look, he, they come at him asking about divorce. He shares about marriage, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, but I'm just... Divorce, though, is cool, right? Moses said it. And it's important that we understand the difference between a commitment and a covenant. Because a lot of us will go into a marriage thinking, yep, I made a commitment. When's the last time you backed out of a commitment? Could have been yesterday. Yeah, I said I would call him back, and I just didn't. Oh, I forgot. I committed to show up to this space. I didn't make it. That's okay. They figured it out. That's real life. We, we struggle with commitment, commitment issues in life. So when we look at a marriage the same way as, like, this is just a commitment, and we're not having a vision for what that can look like, it's easy then to say, yep, I'm done. But a covenant, even the worldly standards of covenant is not the biblically 
identified standards of a covenant. Because a covenant, if you read about the dictionary's version, it's saying it's a real strong commitment together. It's like a contract between two parties. In the Old Testament, it actually was, was similar to that because God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, and that's what Jesus is talking about right now. He said, look, here are these rules that you can live by, and then for whatever reason, they added hundreds and hundreds more, and then nobody could live up to the expectation, but they walked around like they had it all together. Man, makes me mad. So that's why they're asking him this, like, hey, we created all these rules, and through the Ten Commandments, like, we had this covenant, this agreement between each other, and as long as we followed all the rules, God was cool and he loved us. But that's so stale, like, man, we need death to that kind of religion. It is not about a rule book and checking off boxes so you can earn the love of God. So he sends his son Jesus as the new covenant, saying, no, there's nothing you can do to earn this. I am giving you the gift of grace and mercy through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He did that and laid his life down for you, not asking for anything in return. That is what a covenant is. Every movie, like, until death do us part, and you might have said it in your wedding, too, if you're married. Or until it gets hard. It happens, though. Divorce, it happens. It has happened. But in these moments, you can ask God, all right, maybe you've been divorced. God, what is your plan for me next? What does that look like? Or maybe you're struggling with that right now, and, and before you take that next step, say, hey, why don't we just sit down and talk about what a vision for our marriage could look like with God in the center? Because God can bring reconciliation to everything. If Jesus came and died for us because we were broken, like that person that we made that covenant with on that special day that you paid way too much for. But that covenant relationship, what Jesus just shared from Genesis, what God brought together, let no one separate. Like God has a plan for your marriage and he wants to bring restoration and healing and he wants to work in it. Like what if Adam and Eve had said, oh, I'm done, let's get a divorce. Like God will still do what he's gonna do. He probably would have figured something else out and people would still be here. But really, if you think about if they hadn't continued that covenant. Because Adam, Adam, he could have looked at Eve like, oh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me. No? Taylor Swift, anybody? <laughs> and he could have been out. Like, I'm, peace. You ruined it for us. I don't know the details of that relationship, but ultimately they have Cain and Abel and, and then Population is what it is, and God comes in, and I won't tell the whole Bible. It's good to read, though. But God's got a plan for our marriages, and he wants to have and allow us the ability to have a victory over the things that we might be fighting against. But we have to say, all right, if I'm going to say this is a covenant that I'm committed to, God, what is the vision you have for my marriage? 1 Corinthians 7, 12 to 13 says, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. So Paul's given some advice. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. 
I share these verses because God works in all of our lives and sometimes in different timing. Maybe you've always known God, but once when you went to get married, it wasn't a priority to the person that you fell in love with, so it kind of fell off for you. Or maybe in the process of your marriage, God has transformed your heart. And you've entered into a relationship with Jesus. And God's saying, look, you don't need to get out. You don't need to divorce them because I've got a plan for you even there. And you can ask yourself, God, what is your vision for my marriage in the midst of this? How do you want to use me? Maybe you've got to clear out some space in a closet and say, this is my prayer closet. I'm praying for my spouse that Jesus would transform their life. See, when you believe that Jesus came and died for us, you know that the alternative to that is death. It is, it is an everlasting pain. We do what we do because we want people to encounter Jesus, to have the life-giving resurrection power living within us and to know that we get to spend an eternity with God. And we cannot wait to share that with people. Not only just declaring it, but the way that we live our lives because Jesus changes everything. So if you're going through a rough patch in your marriage right now, do not give up. Even if they don't know who Jesus is, to say, Jesus changes everything. And if I'm going to church every single week and I'm seeing people raise their hands to accept Jesus, why not them? So I'm going to pray with fervor. I'm going to invite my friends to pray with me because I believe that God can transform any heart. Whatever space you find yourself in, do not give up. Fight for your marriage. Don't fight each other. Man, the enemy just wants to do that. He wants to continue to bring division. I'm a, I was in the byproduct of, of divorce, right? And I know that wasn't God's intent, but he can still work good things through anything. So I want to be very clear for everyone in here too, like if that's something you've walked through, you need to know there is no condemnation in Christ. You need to know that he can bring redemption through anything. But as God calls us in marriage, he is not looking to punish you. He's looking to protect you. That is really important. And if you're taking notes, I would say to write that down. Because God is not setting up all of these rules. And I think Melissa stated it really well in week one. But he's not doing things to punish us or to keep us from good things. He's saying, no, I am doing this to protect you. Because the way that divorce can work is it's not only heartbreaking for those going through it, but if there's kids involved, other family members involved, even friends like, oh, which friend do I get to pick? Because it's not God's intention for it. But if we keep fighting for one another, I know that there's restoration in all things. And anybody going through anything, Melissa and I, like, our door is open. You let us know. We'd love to come alongside you and talk through that. I mean, we hardly ever fight, but I'm not sure if you heard her laugh. I was being very sarcastic. <laughs> Even this week, there were some tense moments, and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm preaching on marriage, so I know we're going to face some attacks. I got to get ready for that. But ultimately, we know that we're fighting for each other. And we want to push each other toward Jesus. And when we're doing that, it's like, man, divorce is never an option. 
That's off the table. That's not even a word that we use. No, do not say it. It's not an option. Like, man, what God wants to do in and through our lives together, I don't care what we go through. I know that we are better together, and God wants us to continue to push each other toward Jesus. And he wants that for every single marriage. And there is healing and restoration no matter what you're facing. And if it's something that even we may not be able to speak into, well, we'll find ways to recommend you because there's nothing wrong with talking to somebody about it. God has gifted people with different ways to be able to help us walk through things. And I feel like counseling is a really healthy thing to do. Before we planted the church, we went to counseling just to talk through our past. Like It, it wasn't something like, oh, we got this problem we need to face. It was... Let's make sure we have a healthy marriage and let's understand like how much of our past you bring into your marriage and then you identify things in the middle of a fight even. It takes effort. Marriage is hard work. I'm not going to lie to you. But God is working through it. And you have to ask yourselves, what's the vision for your marriage? Because God has a vision for it. Matthew 19, 10 to 11. Some of you might fall in this boat. Disciples said to him, if this is a situation between a husband and wife, it's better to not marry. That is hard. You're telling me when I say yes, I got to stay there, and when it gets hard, I can't leave? Ah, I'd rather just be single. That's too hard. Nobody's laughing. Good. Married, married folks out there, good job. But Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. Because some of us might be called into singleness, whether it's intentionally or whatever stage you're in in your life. Like, see, those of you who are single are like, man, this has not been for me at all. <laughs> but the third vantage point that I do want to speak to is singleness, because Jesus just spoke to it. He's saying, like, there's some people that might be in that phase, and it might be where they're called, or it might be for a season. In 1 Corinthians 7, 8, it says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. And the reason why Paul is saying this is because if you're not married, you have direct intimacy with God. You can spend all your time with him because the truth is once you're married, now you're responsible for a spouse and for kids and a family. So he's saying, look, it's good if you can stay single like me. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm good being single. Don't even come at me. Keep stepping. I'm good. Just chilling with Jesus. And some of you are like, yeah, I have not chosen singleness intentionally. So God, what are you saying to me? Because I've been waiting too long. And Paul, this, this is a side note. I don't know why I stepped into it like that, but... Um, <laughs> Paul would have been married in the past, okay? It doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible, but if you study and you understand, he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was somebody that was in high authority. So if you were Jewish and past the age of even 20 and not married, society looked down on you. So for him to have risen to the level of power that he was, he would have been married at some point. So it's like, and he's probably old right here. So it's like easy for an old dude to say to stay single. You already been married, you know? You're welcome. That was for somebody. But I would even say, like, for those of you, though, in that position, I don't, I don't, 
I don't personally know that struggle, but I know that God does. And that if that's a desire within your heart and it is there, like God's got a plan through it. And as you ask yourselves, what, what is my vision for my marriage? Like, we, we never fully understand the timing of how God works. But singleness, it is a season that is a blessing because you can say, all right, I'm going to get ahead of the game. And I'm going to have a vision for my marriage. I know that the person that I'm going to love is also going to love Jesus. I know that I want them pursuing their purpose the way that I am. I know that I want them to be a person that loves God so much that I would come second to that. I want it to be someone who loves Jesus so much that even though it might be hard, that purity would be a way that they're going right now. See, because it, it continues, 1 Corinthians 7, 9, it says, but, they cannot, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. God knows that you have desires in what you're looking for, but if for some reason you're still in a state of singleness, trust God. Trust to know that he's got you and continue to ask yourself, what's my vision for that future marriage? Because God will give you the strength to endure even though it's hard. He will. He will give you the strength to endure even though it's hard. The world will say, do what makes you feel good. There's a whole lot of websites and apps that make it really easy. And this could be whether you're married, have been divorced, or single, and it's just like, man, these, these ways to, to fill these fleshly desires that we have. Momentary pleasure can lead to future monumental pain. before I knew Jesus, I didn't know any of this. And the mistakes of my past that have, that have hurt my wife's heart. Man, it's hard. But when you have a vision for your marriage, when you have a vision for what God's intention is for you together, even if you're single right now, God will bless that. He will bless that. And, and there, is, there is pain on the other side of that momentary pleasure when that time comes and you're like, man, I just gave in to that. There's grace for it, but it takes a lot more work. Uh, man, I'm just being real today, too. Like, I, I should have asked my wife for permission about that, but I felt the Holy Spirit just prompt me, like, We're in, a, we're in a broken world and we're all broken people trying to figure it out and it's important that we come together. But when Jesus changes everything and you put him at the center of every relationship, whether you're married, whether you've been divorced and you're trying to figure out what God has for you next or if you're single, it's saying, all right, God, what is the vision that you have for my marriage? Or if you're fighting right now and you're thinking, man, I think divorce is where we're headed. Like, nope, that, that's not, it's not an option because God has a plan. He brought us together for a purpose. So what is the vision for our marriage? How do we continue to fight? Fighting for one another and not against each other. 1 Corinthians 7.17, as Paul continues on about it. I'm going to ask Becky to come up. 
It says, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. This is a rule I lay down in all the churches. The ultimate vision for your marriage, whether you're married or single or anything, is saying, no, no matter what, I'm going to live as a believer in someone following Jesus, so what is he calling me to do? You could be on either side of that, single or married right now, and the grass could look greener on the other side, but I, I just want to let you know, like, the grass is greener where you water it. Where you spend time cultivating the soil, which you put your attention toward, that's where growth happens. And we've been married for almost 15 years, but I, yeah, thank you, thank you. But getting an opportunity to still get to know her in different ways and to continue to work on ways that I can show her love, but it's asking God and being intentional with saying, God, what's the vision you have for our marriage? How do you want to use us? But God, how can you help me be more selfless within it? Selfishness is a natural tendency. Even if you're single, because you're like, man, whatever, God hasn't given me that special someone. I'm going to swipe right. Is that the way you swipe? I don't know. But I just say delete the app, you know. Go to the Bible app and say, all right, God, what do you have? What's the vision for my marriage? Because you've put this desire in my heart. I do not know why I'm waiting right now, but I'm believing that my future spouse and praying that they're having a vision for their marriage too. Ephesians 5.31, Paul is referencing the same verses in Genesis that Jesus was. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Check this out, though, in Ephesians 5.32. He said, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. See, Jesus is the head and we are the body. He is the one who leads the church. The ultimate covenant and the ultimate marriage is between Jesus and his bride, which are his people. flesh of my flesh. We can think of it within our own personal relationships, but Jesus is saying, no, you are flesh of my flesh because I came and gave my flesh so that you could have life. And the vision that he had for the marriage with him is that, look, I'm going to die and be raised to life again, but I must go so I can give you something better, which is the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we're not going to forget about the Holy Spirit because when you accept a relationship with Jesus, you have access to the power of God living within you. And it is that power that will give you the strength to do the things that are challenging from the world's perspective. The world will say, yep, you better just leave that relationship. But the Holy Spirit will say, no, fight for it. Fight for it because it's worth it. I will bring healing and restoration and I will give you hope in a future. But it starts with the decision ourselves to say, Jesus, I'm following you. Because of the sacrifice that you made for me, I'm giving my life to you. And he loves us so much that he doesn't even demand that. God could say, yeah, bow down to me. But he doesn't. He says, I loved you. I sent my son to die for you. And I'm going to give you the choice if you want a relationship with me. But he is right there knocking because he wants it. Jesus can bring restoration and free you from bondage and chains and all of these things holding you back within your heart. 
Jesus is also the answer in any relationship. He is the answer that will help bring a marriage stronger, that will keep you even if you're single, saying, Jesus, I just need you to get me through another day because I don't know why you haven't brought someone into my life. But we can change the narrative and say, well, God, what is it you want to do in me? Who do you want me to be? What is the vision for that future marriage? Because I know you've got a plan for it. What does that look like in our lives? We never leave a Sunday without giving people an opportunity to step into that relationship with Jesus. Say, look, whatever in the worldly side of things and marriage relationships, that one first most important relationship with Jesus to say, man, he wants to change everything in your life. He's inviting us to allow him into our lives so we can have a relationship with him and he can help us fight for every relationship that we have. But first and foremost, you need to know that he's been fighting for you. So we want to give people that opportunity to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. You might be asking yourselves, like, what does that even look like? I've never been to church before. I don't even know what a relationship with God might look like. Like, what do I have to do? The beauty is, it has already been done. That Jesus died for you. And God's word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's just accepting that free gift of grace and forgiveness that he's offering you. Saying, yes, I will accept your proposal to step into relationship with you. And it is a covenant because he's not going anywhere. So I want to ask in this space right now, if everybody wouldn't mind just bowing your heads and, and closing your eyes. Because I want to give those in here where God has just transformed your heart, an opportunity to respond to it. And I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, and if that's you in this space and you say you want a relationship with Jesus, I just ask that you just shoot your hand in the air. It is a safe place. Because one, you need to know that Jesus died for you and he would have done it for you and you alone. Two, you need to know that you will never be alone again, that he died for you so that you could have a relationship with him. But because of his resurrection, you can spend an eternity following after him and living in community with him. And three, if that's you, would you shoot your hand in the air? Would you be so proud today? Thank you. Thank you. Being brave. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can go ahead and put them down. God, I thank you so much for those who just said yes to that relationship with you. I thank you for what you're doing in their lives, Lord, and I just pray continued redemption and restoration. I pray that you would surround them with people to love them the way that you do. God, we thank you for these moments to be in your presence and celebrate your name, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we celebrate as all of heaven rejoices for those who made that decision? Yes. Thank you for joining Soul Revival Church Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review us to help reach more people with the hope and love of Jesus. If you would like to support our ministry, you can visit us online at www.soulrevival.church.